I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on The Bell Tell. I've been punched, kicked, spat on, verbally abused. I've been knocked unconscious. I've been hit by a car. I've been shot at. The perils of policing. The unrelenting attacks on the front line. Police were attacked, petrol bombs were thrown, and a bus was set on fire last night. In total, 55 police officers have been injured in the violence. Experienced quite a sustained attack, being like masonry, bricks, fireworks, petrol bombs. There was a gun attack. I knew what it was straight away because you could hear, you could hear what was going on. He started punching, kicking at me. It just kept me feeling thuds to the head. I'm Sharon O'Neill, and today you'll be hearing from three officers. Their stories never told until now. Well, today I'm at police headquarters, the place for my chat with the three constables, all at very different stages in their careers. I've been a police officer for 20 years. I've been spat at, I've been kicked, I've been knocked unconscious. I've been hit by a car, I've been shot at. Um, assaults on officers should not be part and parcel of the job. There is an expectation that if a police officer gets assaulted, which that's what they're there for. And society should realise that we're not just police officers, we're humans. This officer is now battle-hardened. I'm old enough now to know, I was a child of the 70s and 80s, I can remember watching riots and, and seeing stuff on the TV and being stopped by the army and, and I know how dangerous it was. But if you're looking at the likes of attacks against officers, comparing it, obviously the Troubles was a different time, a different context, what is the comparison now? It's definitely generational because when I was a kid, it's not that I didn't look up to the police, but I would have respected them and I certainly would never have talked back to a police officer because that was where I was brought up. Nowadays you have a generation that will, will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you and tell them what they think of you and what they're entitled to and tell you how to do your job. So there are times whenever you can see that society will reflect a certain level of respect and not only police officers but also emergency service workers you hear about attacks in the end daily i mean nurses and doctors constantly dealing with the people that we bring into them on the street but do you think there's more sympathy for them than there is for the police the one thing i always hear about when you hear a police officer who's been injured is sure he'll be fine he'll get a claim he'll get a holiday sure he'll be putting his feet up 
and that's that's not that's not reality at all. And there is a certain level of of ignorance, maybe, on the part of the people who are reading it, that if they hear a doctor injured, if they hear a fireman who's been assaulted, maybe with a brick at a, at a bonfire site, or or an ambulance staff member who's been assaulted by somebody, it makes the news really, really quickly. And then there's a follow-up, maybe, program on assaults and staff. It does seem that police officers being assaulted is a day and daily occurrence that is almost accepted because it's part of the rule. I've had people tell me, but you're a policeman, you should get assaulted. By far the most serious attack being shot at, and because of the nature of what happened, he doesn't want to talk about specifics. But what he does say really does give a fascinating insight. Tell me about the shooting. Um, there was a gun attack. It was over in Dunmouth in a matter of seconds. But what was going through your mind during that point? In all honesty, at the time, um, I knew what it was straight away, and there was almost a nervous laugh because you could hear you could hear what was going on and you knew that it was over even quicker before you realised. There is, there is an awful lot of confidence in what the equipment that you have and the, the type of, you know, the vehicles that you have and the people that you're with. So you know if you're ever going to get into a scrape or anything like that, that you can trust the people you're with and the kit that you have to get you out of it. Your job is to keep people safe. Do you feel at times you're doing so at the expense of keeping yourself safe? Yes, there can be times whenever you have to put yourself in a position that you could be the one that ends up coming out of it the worst. Um, but there are times whenever you will help somebody that needed help and if you hadn't have been there, the outcome could have been... I mean, the outcome could have been fatal in some instances. You don't know, you don't know what would have happened if police hadn't been able to be there. So that overrides anything that happens to you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a selfish person by any means. Um, I wouldn't be in this job if I didn't want to try and do something for Northern Ireland. And that sounds a bit clichéd, but it is driven home that, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a career, it's not a job, it's, it's like a vocation. Before we started this interview... You said you felt like a punch bag. Oh, yeah. Explain that to me. I think I had been out on the ground about a week, maybe, when I first started, and I got my first proper punch in the face, and that hadn't happened to me since school. And ever since then, every single one will always be a shock, whether you get assaulted, kicked, or, or any of the other instances where I've been assaulted. Um, but it doesn't make it any different with regards how you feel about it at the time. There's the shock, there's the anxiety, there's the worry. But then your training goes into over to, goes into play, and you know how to cope with people, and you're taught how to how to restrain people, and how to use the the, the options that you have, whether it's your baton, whether it's your pava spray, or worse. So. What about your family? I mean, you've been through the mill. Did they not say look? You've done your bit. Time to hang up that uniform? Never. And I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had that support. Um, I don't always tell my mum 
some of the things I've been involved in because she doesn't need to know, she doesn't need to worry. But um, certainly whenever I maybe finish a long shift and there's an incident that's been finished, you know, it's good to talk. And sometimes the person who you have to talk to is the one that you walk into the front door and, and meet in your own home. And what would you say? Well, there's obviously so, so much I can tell her, but she doesn't say a lot, to be honest. It's more me outpouring what I've maybe been through and how I'm feeling. Um, and it does make a massive difference. And that's a sign people don't see. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm what, they phone the police, you turn up in your car, you, you've got your uniform on, you've got your hat, you've got your confidence. Um, and whenever you go home, you're still a police officer, but you're a father, you're a husband, you're a son, you're maybe a local member of a community. People don't see you as a police officer, they see you as... That's somebody that uh, I can rely on if I need help with something. And this constable has his own take on why attacks are at a three-year high. Definitely drinking drugs. And that's not always confined to a geographical area because whether it's Belfast, whether it's Ballymena or whether it's Bestbrook, you know, there are problems in every community and the police seem to be the ones that are the ones mopping up with those problems. The unit that I work with, um, I'm glad and thankful that if we go to a call, we go in numbers, we go in strength. You don't always have that in response policing. Um, response policing on a daily basis are still being assaulted and a lot of it is generational and a lot of it is lack of respect for not just police. I mean, you have to look at, I know it's maybe, it mightn't be applicable, but you look at the pitch invasions, you look at the, the, the managers being attacked on, on recent weeks there in football. I mean, that's a reflection of society just not caring about there's rules and the rules really shouldn't go past what happens. So if, if society is developing to the stage where they're not respecting even the club that they love or the managers that they maybe are, are, are competing against every week with their, with their own teams, you know, they're not going to care about us. Officer 2 was injured during this. The worst rioting Northern Ireland has seen in a decade. Now revealed, last year alone, 900 officers were hurt in the line of duty. Now that's one in eight frontline personnel. For a constable with only three years under his belt, what he suffered was a real eye-opener. It was, it was a strange atmosphere um, because you're standing on streets that you've driven up and down day in, day out normally and there's members of the public that live there and live in those areas and it was almost just a war zone for those number of nights. We were there to, to basically split the two sides of the community that were potentially trying to get at each other. So we become in the middle, but you almost forget about the people that you're protecting behind you. So it just feels that you're just almost standing there taking the attack. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of younger people and teenagers on that specific night. So there's almost an element that if you probably asked them why they were doing it, they probably couldn't give you an answer. It was just relentless, um, and there was no sense that, like, we were going to be here, and we were there for obviously hours and hours, but there was just no sign of it stopping. 
but things came to a shuddering halt for this young officer. Did you see the breeze block heading your way? No, unfortunately not. Um, so just before that, um, before I was hit, there was a number of fireworks and stuff going off at my feet and other like petrol bombs coming in. And like I say, if they're coming from the street lights, you can almost see it um, and raise your shield or block it to an extent. But this one kind of came from, it was in a believe school ground, so it was a big fence, no light, so it just came out of the darkness. And I didn't see it until it hit me. Uh, I don't, I just remember the force of it, to be honest. And then happened to see it landed on my arm just for the way I was holding my shield. The only way of describing it, I felt like my head, I went from looking straight to looking vertically up. Um, the force of my head was so strong, it just threw my head right back. Um, so the gelling is keeping you going. Um, it was only a couple of hours after the pain almost started to set in and then it was, it was two to three days after is when the concussion really kicked in and that's when I knew this was a big hit and I was lucky to kind of get away with what I did as such. Your parents must have been worried sick though. What did they say to you after? Well, that's it. Because um, I was getting texts from my mum at two, three o'clock in the morning when, yeah, everyone else is tucked up in bed sleeping with nothing to worry about. So from that element of it, which I've never properly thought about, yeah, it's, it's probably just as hard for them sitting at home, not being able to like specifically help um, without or bar just texting or phone calls. So... This officer will never forget what he was told by medics in hospital. The doctors and the nurses that I spoke to, every single one of them were basically saying that if I didn't have my helmet on, then I would have either been killed or a life-changing injury um, just for the force that's hit my head and all the symptoms. I basically ticked every box for every symptom of concussion. It, that was probably the hardest thing I've probably gone through. Um, just that's that level of not being able to function almost as a human. Um, I couldn't, uh, my mum's coming around and providing food and stuff like that. I just couldn't do anything. And the thing I probably struggled with the most was I didn't look injured. I didn't have any cuts, bruises or anything. So it was hard to try and explain to people like how you were feeling, because if you looked at me, it was almost just looked fine. But it was all obviously like my head and dizziness and not being able to stand and like I say, like just constantly sleeping and moving basically from the bed to the sofa for almost 10 days. It, it did have a big negative impact, um, especially on like, not so much your mental health, but just, just yourself almost. Like you feel like you were never, it was never gonna clear uh, and you're never gonna be back to like normal again. When you put the uniform on in the morning, what do you think? Do you think potentially you could go out and be injured that day? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it is something that you have in the back of your head um, in regards to the situation that I was involved in with an injury. It, the likelihood of being injured is much higher. Would I do it again? Yes. Um, I'm trained to do that role, and if I'm asked to perform it, then I will. Um, obviously, I'll have it in the back of my head that something like this could happen again and I need to do everything I can to not allow that, but not that I allowed it the first time. I don't like carrying a gun. I don't like carrying a parva spray that we have now. I don't like carrying a baton. But I would not do this job without them because of what could happen. Is there a respect issue? I believe so, yeah. Uh, it's, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances, but 
it's almost as if it's like with the uh, the generation we have now, they can just do what they want, and that's where I feel like a punch bag sometimes. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not everybody. Uh, you know, a lot of people I do within the community are absolutely fantastic. People come, uh, people come up to me, especially in the city centre, and they'll praise you. Some of me give you a cup of tea or a coffee, which is you know always nice. But uh, on the flip side of it, there's unfortunately people in the community that we have to deal with that don't like police, and you know I've got a particular way of showing it sometimes. Officer three suffered a brutal assault, searching a suspect over a stolen credit card. He started punching, kicking at me several times, uh, to the point, this is the middle of the, uh, the bus station, to the point that I had to put him on the ground, which took a lot of might, he was quite strong. And again, while I was on the ground, he was still fighting and clawing to get away from me, uh, kicked me in the face, and then kicked me in the shoulder, which I believe then, as I didn't know at the time, but then must have caused the injury. Uh, he got back up and I had to take him to the ground a second time, still trying to get him handcuffed under control. And I had to resort to basically wrapping my legs around him and emptying my issue CS spray into his face and then wrapping my arm around him and just holding on until somebody came and helped me. What was going through your head at that point? I was terrified. I was on my own and absolutely terrified. Uh, but I kind of dug my heels in and I was determined not to let him go. Did you feel every punch, every kick? Uh. It'd be hard to say because th there was that much going on. It just kept feeling thuds to the head. And when I uh, had discharged my CS spray and I'd wrapped myself around him, he was still clawing to try and get away, still forcing himself you know, against me to push me off. And so, like I said, I just uh, held onto him as long as I could. But I didn't realize my shoulder had been dislocated at that point. I stood up, was trying to get my breath back. And it's only actually when another colleague came up and tapped me on the arm and said, are you all right? And I just felt a really, really sharp pain. And then he actually told me that my shoulder was basically facing the wrong way. It was wrapped around my back. And then they had to cut my clothing off in the street to see what had happened. And then obviously my shoulder was deformed. So there was no ambulances available for me, which was a bit of a bit of pill to swallow. So I had to get into an armoured car, which... No ambulance? No ambulance available. There's no first responder available. And I had to get into an armoured car, which was very, very difficult. And then drive up to the Ulster Hospital with my colleague, who was in a bit of a bind because if she drove a bit quicker, it hurt. But if she drove slower, I felt every bump, which so it hurt. So I had to go through physiotherapy for about a year. And I was given the option when I saw a specialist to have surgery. The specialist advised me not to have surgery because there was a high percentage that it could make me immobile. Uh, and it's not something I wanted to take the risk on. That day when you were attacked in the bus station, it could have turned out much worse, do you think, about that? I do now. Uh, I didn't at the time. It has uh, caused me to think when going into any other situation, not so much taking a step back, but just to think, you know, what could happen here? You know, it's not something I, I don't rush into things so quickly as I used to, simply because of that that happened. 
it was you know, I was it's quite a it was quite a serious injury and I was off work uh, for a couple of months. It's not something I want to be repeating. You know, it's it has caused me to you know second guess a few things. You know, when dealing with something, you know, just to see if there's going to be a better outcome. I always think about you know what if he did have a weapon? If he was fighting me, what if he did have something they could you know do damage to me with? And what if he did? Exactly, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. You know, you could have, you know, if he had a knife, he had a gun, anything like that, could have resulted in a death. You're married? Yeah. Has your wife ever said to you, look, walk away, it's not worth it? On occasion, yeah. What she said? Basically said to me, most, uh, most times it's in, it's in jest. You know, just you trying to use a bit of sense of humour. But I know she really, I know she really cares. Uh, when she found out about, you know, obviously what happened to me on that occasion, she was crying her eyes out, and I had to get her dad to drive to work to pick me up because she, she was that worried. It's terrible to put her through that, but uh, you know, it's my job, and I do, I do enjoy my job, and it's something I want, I want to keep doing. At the expense of yourself, your own physical self. Yeah, uh, I'm not going. In, I'm, you know, I'm not going to work every day thinking, right? You know, this is going to happen. You know, a lot of people when they work other jobs, they say that uh, I love my job because every day is different. And I can honestly say, in policing, not especially re- response policing, no two days are the same. Every call is different. You're never going to go to the exact same call every single day. Are you more aware now, though, that every call you go to, something could happen? Yes, definitely. I were, previously, I would have you know, not thought about it too much, but as I said, because of what's happened, I do take that you know, second moment to, to think, you know, what could happen here? How am I going to come out of this? Just seven years in the job, this constable has taken many knocks along the way. You know, do you feel like you're a punch bag? I do, yeah, uh, but I think there's multi-factors involved. I mean, it's no secret that uh, drink and drugs are a huge issue in daily life you know, throughout the world, let alone in Northern Ireland. And nine times out of ten, you know, when I'm assaulted, it's usually by someone that's either drunk or you know, feeling adverse effects of drugs. But unfortunately, because that happens so much, it is, you know... I won't say it's becoming a routine, but I do expect, you know, if I'm dealing with some of this angry and I suspect they're on drugs, I feel, yeah, I'm probably going to get assaulted here. You know, it's so, if, if I don't, ex, you know, if I don't give that level of expectation that it may happen, I'm just being naive at myself. I've been reporting on the policing situation in Northern Ireland for more than 20 years. It really is a fine balancing act. The wrong move can be costly we have just heard from those who do that job day in, day out. Today's podcast was presented and produced by Sharon O'Neill and Graham Davison. The clips you heard are from the BBC, ITV and Channel 4. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.